Have you ever had one of those travel days where everything seems to go wrong? Your destination was only supposed to be four hours away, but you got off to a late start. It took you longer to get there than you thought it would. And now you're arriving at dark and trying to set up in the middle of the night when it's quiet time and people are trying to go to sleep. We've all had terrible days like this, and they can really set your vacation off to a bad start. Today on RV Miles, our tips for an efficient travel day. everybody and welcome to RV Miles, your home for RV and camping news, reviews, travel guides, and more. I'm Jason. And I'm Abby, and we are thrilled to welcome you to Lucky 7, Episode 7 of the RV Miles podcast. If you want to keep up with RV Miles news, you can check us out at rvmiles.com. You can also find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you're interested in following along with Jason and I's personal journey, along with our three boys, Jack, Ethan, and Henry, we are at ourwanderingfamily.com, and we are also on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. That's right. Today, we're going to talk about the Big Easy. New Orleans. New Orleans on our final segment of the show. We're going to talk about some tips and tricks for travel days, for making the, the best use of your time and getting from point A to point B efficiently. I feel like we've been tricked enough trying to do this <laughs> that we could actually speak to how not to do everything that Jason and Abby have done. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to talk about making the foolproof campfire. But first, we're coming to you from our picnic table <laughs> at Camp Sullivan, just outside of Chicago, one of the Cook County Forest Preserve campgrounds. We are. We keep trying to find new ways to make recording the podcast work while we're on the road. And today we are doing so on a beautiful September afternoon. The kids are in the background playing. So every once in a while you might hear sounds of joy or <laughs> potentially sounds of anger. But it is kind of fun each week to figure out how we're going to do this. Yeah. It's definitely a puzzle. <laughs> I thought it'd be nice to have the sounds of crickets and the breeze and yeah, it in is. the background. It is nice. It's and nice. we have the sun shining on our faces, making yeah. it impossible to see the computer and our notes. So <laughs> <laughs> this is really going to be exciting. <laughs> the big news right now is, of course, Hurricane Harvey and, oh. and all the victims uh, and our hearts certainly go out to them in Houston. The uh, RV industry has responded in a great way. Yeah, definitely. The Most of the private campgrounds in, in and around the area have opened up for free for victims. The state parks, the national forests in the, in the south and southeast area have opened up for free for, for victims to, you know, be able to, that are displaced. To yeah, to for anyone see. displaced, it's really been amazing to see how quickly and how much response there has been to those who find themselves without somewhere to be at the moment. I know several of the manufacturers are, are donating trailers to FEMA, Academy Sports and Outdoors, the outdoor store. Yeah. Uh, their headquarters is down there and they've opened up one of their facilities for just thousands of first response workers to have a, a place to headquarters. So hopefully responses from all the different you know, industries and people across the country are, are going to help all those victims. And of course, we've got Hurricane Irma 
I know. On its, way it's to amazing. Florida. It's like we just we're not even done with the impact of what has happened with Harvey and for all of those people in Texas. And now we're talking about what could potentially be another major disaster with Irma over in Florida. There's a lot of disagreement about, you know, inducing panic and evacuating and, and, and whether people should, you know, listen to, you know, hurricanes can switch directions at any time. Oh, yeah. But play it safe. If, if you don't have a reason to be in the path of Irma, even if it doesn't end up going that way, just get out of there. I mean, for us, it's a question of just better safe than sorry but you know again I think everyone has to make what they feel is the best decision for them personally and for their family but you know kind of given the information that we know and what they're saying right now I think if I was in Florida um, we would be packing up Wanderbus and we would be heading to Georgia and I know that there have been a lot of campgrounds that are opening up in Georgia to welcome people trying to flee Florida and to get out of this path. So, you know, there are options out there and people are aware that this is happening. And I think a lot of people are trying to get a little bit more ahead of this with Harvey so fresh in our minds and still the aftermath of Harvey, which will be months, years, if not decades. Yeah, I I think there are are a lot of people that can't move, that, that have jobs, they have reasons that they have to stay, family, but, you know, it's your responsibility to get out of the way if you can, so that if there is an evacuation, it could it can be easier. It can be people can get out of there quicker. Less people are going to be a burden on emergency services. Yeah, so as we go into this week and the weeks following, you know, we certainly send just, like, our thoughts. And, you know, I know sometimes that you hear that a lot. Everyone sends their thoughts and prayers. But... You know, outside of donating to organizations that you would feel comfortable donating to that are assisting these individuals, I don't think a little bit of good energy goes a long way. I know a lot of RVers are on their way down to to help out in the aftermath, and that's fantastic. That's cool. Make sure you have a plan in place and and you've figured out what support system you're going to help with before you go down, so that you make sure that you're you're not just you know another uh, another RV in the way that you actually do have a a purpose uh, for being there. So we'll just kind of keep watching what happens with Harvey and we're all definitely splitting kind of our sights right now. One eye on Harvey and now we've got one eye on Irma. All right, let's uh, let's lighten it up a little bit. (laughs) Talk about a campfire. Wow, that's like a total 180. (laughs) Well, you know, sometimes you have to just yeah, you have to take a breath let and it, you have to let, let it go. So uh, a campfire, Jason. I wanted to talk a campfire. little bit about creating a campfire. You know, you can go online and you can find all of these tutorials and you can find books for survival campfires and all the different types of campfires for cooking different types of things. And there's not a lot of information about just building a campfire to sit around at a campground, which 90% of them are, right? And all of us have gone out to the store or to the camp, you know, to the gas station or the grocery store or the camp store and bought that bundle of wood. That expensive, that expensive bundle, bundle of, wood. of wood. We bring it back to our, our campsite and, you know, stick a piece of newspaper under it <laughs> and light it. And, oh, it's a great big flame and, oh, what a joy. And, the, and then the flame goes out because the newspaper is gone and, uh, and nothing's happened. So I wanted to talk about <laughs> ways that you can solve the issues of creating a foolproof fire. 
thing. All right, tell us. Okay. Tell us. I'm thrilled because most of my campfire experience involves me standing around watching you work the campfire. And then once it gets going, I grab the fire tongs and then I like to go and rearrange everything she, that she, you just that, did. That, if that is not a <laughs> metaphor for our lives. <laughs> oh my God. Well, somebody's got to go do it right, sweetheart. <laughs> so here's the deal. To create a campfire that's going to light the first try, what you have to do is you have to have successfully, what's the word, successively varying grades of wood thickness. Ooh. Yeah, like that? (laughs) Okay, so people are going to throw out words like tinder and kindling and all that to you, but all you really need to know is, let's take some light, bushy, dry material like dried leaves dried grass and that's tinder okay that's stuff that's going to light quickly and it's going to hold a steady flame that's going to light our next layer our next layer is kindling don't worry about the names again kindling is wood that is an inch thick or less and i like to split my kindling up into two piles so i have stuff that's like a pencil thickness or less and i have stuff that's like pencil thickness to an inch thick That's my two kindling piles, okay? And then you have your fuel logs. And the key to all of the wood lighting and staying lit and not smoking is to have dry seasoned wood. And the way that you're gonna check your kindling, (laughs) Abby is just, she's got this look of like, oh, this is so, so boring. (laughs) No, no, I have, I'm waiting for you to finish because I have something I want to say. The way you check if if your kindling is dry enough to use is to just snap it in half and if it makes like green beans, if it snaps, it's good to go. If it bends, it's going to be too wet and green and you don't want to use it. It's going to be useless. Now what do you have to say? Is that that it? That's how those are the stages? I'm not done. No, I'm just, I am blown away by how organized you are with this and like how you've got it in steps and layers and because <laughs> I don't know where this guy is <laughs> like <laughs> when you go to put like your clothes away <laughs> like can we I'm just wondering if like we created three levels of like organization inside the bus if <laughs> we would get the same kind of results as this campfire Anyway, (laughs) so what you're going to do, you don't need to make any silly formations. You don't need a teepee, a log cabin, a lean-to. You don't need to worry about any of that sort of stuff. But I love the log cabin look. Yeah, You know, you can do it if you want, but you don't have to. That's my point. Somebody's backing up in the campground. (laughs) (laughs) Take Take your wad of kindling. I'm sorry, take your wad of tinder. So your light bushy, dried leaves, dried grasses, whatever. Put that in the middle of your fire pit. Light it on fire. If it's too windy, oh look, a breeze just came through. Look at I know, it's so good. If it's too windy, create a little berm with, with some of your fuel logs so that the wind doesn't hit it. Light it on fire. Once it's about three quarters lit, it's 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 roaring up, throw your, your smaller bunch of tinder on top of it. That tinder is gonna light up really quick. Once that tinder is about 75% lit, throw your thicker tinder on top of it. Once that's about 75% lit, 
throw some fuel logs on top of it. And there you go. There you go. You got now, a roaring fire. You want you need to make sure that your fuel logs are seasoned wood. If they are freshly cut lumber, they are they're just gonna be too much of a pain and they're not gonna light, they're not gonna stay lit. You're gonna have a really hard time with them unless you keep that fire really, really hot. And that can be a problem when you're in places like we are right now. We're at a forest preserve that doesn't allow you to bring in in firewood. Yeah. You have to buy it here. And sometimes you're gonna you're gonna find that they're gonna be handing out wood that is freshly cut trees that they needed to fell. And that, that stuff's not gonna light. You know, yeah, it takes no a good, good. No anywhere good. between six months and, and two years to, to season wood. The wood we got here is we're lucky that it is very well seasoned. The way you can check is you look in the end grain and if it's started to crack at the end and open up, that you know it's it's pretty decently seasoned decently seasoned well jason spent his labor day weekend uh creating a little campfire video and putting together an article on rv miles that kind of lays this all out and visually lays it all out as well so we will link to that in the show notes and you can go over and kind of check it out and see firsthand with your eyes what jason's talking about about the different layers of the campfire and you, then you can pass that info along to your campfire builder because that person is not me and then you can <laughs> you know argue with me about how i'm wrong i would love to see someone leave a comment with like a no this is how you do it because there are a lot of opinions on campfires if you're not in any of the rv facebook groups good for you, you and you want to have a good time <laughs> join a few of them because every other day somebody is posting about the smell, you know, the smell of their neighbor's campfire is bothering them. And then everybody chimes in with, oh, then why are you camping? And then <laughs> other people are chime in with, well, some people have asthma. And, uh, you know, and it goes on and on. And, you know, the truth always lies in the middle. I th- I talk about camp, uh, campfire etiquette, 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 <laughs> <laughs> etiquette a little bit in the article, too. And I think, you know, it is important to respect your neighbor with your campfire. Absolutely. If the day's too if the day's too windy, if your wood's too green and, and you're smoking people out at their campsite with your fire, maybe it's you know, the conditions just aren't right for you and you don't need to have one. If your campfire is really close to your neighbor's bedroom window on their R V, you know, put your campfire out at night when you go to bed. Don't just leave it to smolder so they've got smoke blowing in all night long. I think we all expect that there's gonna be fire and the smell of fire at campgrounds, but but be respectful. Yeah, and we've had situations where both of those things have happened, and we love a good campfire. And those, you know, going to bed at night with a campfire that's going out in your neighbor's space and you're smelling it in the RV all night long, is it's not quite as appealing, doesn't have quite the same smell as when you're sitting by the roaring fire and enjoying it. You're kind of getting, like, the leftovers of their great campfire. Yeah. So, you know, I think it's great. And it's interesting, you know, that you can sit here and talk about a campfire for as long as you can. But it is kind of one of those topics that comes up a lot between people inside these groups. And, you know, I think just a reminder of, you know, the frustrations of what it can be to get a campfire going too. I mean, <laughs> now you've got the foolproof RV Miles method. I did, and, and last night, I just, you know, I just wrote this article and I did this big video and I took all the time. And then last night I tried to go light a fire by throwing some logs down and shoving a piece of newspaper under them. And of course it didn't, didn't work. Didn't we didn't work. get to have a fire last it night. It works sometimes, but get, nope. it, it doesn't often. So you ruined our whole night last I, night. I did. <laughs> and more ways than one. I know. 
<laughs> and on that happy marital note, let's take a little break and we'll be right back. Are you looking to rent an RV? Or perhaps you'd like to rent out your own and make a little money? Whatever your needs, RV Share has you covered. As the fastest growing peer-to-peer online RV rental platform, RV Share is similar to Airbnb's concept of travel, but for RVs. Every rental booked through their secure payment system is backed by a $10,000 guarantee and includes 24-hour travel concierge and roadside assistance. With options across the country, there's an RV rental or renter out there for you. For more information, visit rvmiles.com slash rvshare and get started today. Hi, we're back. Welcome back. So we're going to talk about last week's brain teaser. Last week's brain teaser. I thought this was a good one. You did. You did. It was the redeeming one for the week from episode five that was just truly awful. I thought it was a good one. Did you (laughs) think it was a good one? I know you. I know I thought it was. A, Which one are we talking about here? This one. <laughs> I did think this was a good one. Yes. You ready? Yes. Sam and Angela were on a camping trip. When making dinner, they discovered that neither of them had brought a clock or a watch. Dinner required cooking for 45 minutes. All Sam could dig up was a couple of mosquito coils that would each burn for one hour. They didn't have any method to measure the coils in any way. Angela figured out a way to measure 45 minutes using the two one-hour coils and fight off the mosquitoes at the same time, which isn't true because mosquito Those coils, coils don't do work. Not work. How did she accomplish this task? Abby was very adamant about getting some mosquito coils and trying this out. But if you listened to episode six, the full-time special, you will know that Abby ended up having just a few miserable days trying to get her family back on the road. So I did not get over to a camping world or a Cabela's and buy some mosquito coils. So this is how it works, right? Okay. Angela first lit one mosquito coil at both ends and then lit the other one only on one side. So that way, when the coil that had been lit on both ends finished, it had burned for a half hour instead of an hour. Got it? Yeah. Okay. At that point, the second mosquito coil had only one half hour left to burn. Then she lit the second, that coil, the second one at the other end. So it it had already burnt halfway. Then she lit it at the other end, which, gives you 15 minutes all right listen plus 15 minutes angela is assuming that these coils burn at exactly the same rate on either end okay it's a math problem all right (laughs) (laughs) you you don't you don't throw in additional variables you just accept it you accept sure she was also but cooking a souffle, so I have several. Well, I have several issues, <laughs> but I will say, if that's all they had to work with, that's a very smart way to do it. I think it's. I think it's pretty good. Yes, good that problem. was really great, hon. We'll have the next brain teaser at the end of the show. All right. So we wanted to talk this week a bit about our process for getting on the road and planning our travel days. I think when a lot of RVers start out, whether they're part-time or full-time, they're very good about planning their destinations and what they're going to do there. Yes. And they forget a little bit about the travel days and and how to do those efficiently so that you don't end up divorced. 
<laughs> I think on the flip side though too, is that once you've been doing this for a while, you can get a little too comfortable with the travel day. Like you start kind of forgetting things or you start assuming mm -hmm. you know what needs to be done. And then the next thing you know, the fridge door flies open and all the contents come exactly. spilling out. So these are just a few, I think, reminders for the seasoned traveler and also maybe some food for thought for those who are thinking of taking a trip here soon for the first time or whatnot. So, Absolutely. All right, let's dive into it. So tip number one is to have a checklist. Whether you've been doing this for 30 years without a checklist or not, a checklist is really going to help you avoid all of your problems. And not a mental checklist. No. Don't have a mental checklist. Like, have something physical. You, you don't want to be that person that is driving down the road with your sewer hose hanging out the back, <laughs> flopping Gross. down the road. Because it's happened. You don't want to be that person that... You know, Drives away from the campground still plugged in. Still plugged in. You, want, you don't want to be yanking your outlet out of the side of your RV. You don't. Uh, or I mean, the number of times you see people driving away with a slide still open oh oh man oh, and that the, so these painful. are simple things that you think you would not forget to do but you have to put them down on paper and remember to do every step yeah i mean because every situation is different i can't tell you how many times my attention or your attention has been pulled away from the task that we were doing by the needs of a small creature that like <laughs> wants food <laughs> like and then you kind of forget like where was i and i know you're probably thinking oh but it's just a few latches and unplugging a few things and it's really simple but it's not it's not simple. It's not. You are moving your home and your items and your loved ones from one point to another. And it is always the best policy to be as safe and as organized as you possibly can. And I, I think it's also important to do a once around after and check to make sure you've done everything on the yes. and check each other's work. Yes. So Abby usually does the inside stuff and I do the outside stuff and a lot of couples do that. Some people do everything together. However you do it, check each other's work to make sure that everything got accomplished and try to do it in a way that doesn't offend the other person. Respectful. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't make the other person feel like you're checking up on them. Exactly. Not that that's been an issue <laughs> over here at Wanderbus. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but there is one thing in regards to what you were just saying there, checking your work. The very last thing I do before we are 100% about to drive away from the campground is I say to you, wait just a minute, I'm gonna do one walkthrough and then I walk all the way to the back of the bus and then I go through and I physically touch the items that I know I need to be, need to be secure mm -hmm. or in a secure place before we can drive away. And even though I've done those things, it's this one last walkthrough of touching the door. The door is, has been latched. Touching all three locks on the fridge and the pantry. Those are locked. Checking that the fan is down in the bedroom. You know, those, just putting my hands on them one more time before I sit down and put my seatbelt on is just that one little extra step to ensure that we don't have any major issues when we're driving because there is nothing more stressful than rolling down the highway and something comes tumbling out or flying around in the back of the RV. Yeah, and I do the same thing when we, we when we hook up the car. I you know I double 
I go back and touch everything. Yeah. Sure and, we, you know, we actually sometimes will stop like about 30 minutes into the drive just to double check that um, the stuff is still tight around the tires. I, stuff. The, the straps are thank tight you. around the tires. We tow, on a, we tow our, our van on a dolly. Yeah. And it, it is, if you, if you do have a dolly that you tow with, it is important to stop after a few miles or so to just make sure those straps are tight. And you can usually give them one more click to get them Yeah, things kind of adjust and move adjust around. So let's talk about a couple things to have on your checklist that you might not have thought about. Um, the number one for me is checking the air pressure in your tires. If you're going to be driving a, a decent distance, you, you should be checking your air pressure every time. And you should have a pump so that you can, you can fill them up because... It is so hard to find a place to air up your tires. Yeah, in, for you know, sure. In, a, in an RV. Well, and it just takes more time to stop. Yeah. You know, if you have something on hand with you in the campground, like over the weekend, you know, we've got some pretty massive tires on this bus, and what we've got, twelve. How many tires do we have? We eight. I don't even we know. We have twelve tires. We, we have twelve with, tires. Plus the spare. What? So, yeah. So that's a lot of tires, and I know that kind of on Sunday, as we knew that we'd be leaving on Monday from one north side campground to come back here to the south side one you spent sunday chucking tires and airing them up and they all needed a little bit of air and that took well, some time and i made it i made a change to the to the pressure that that we run on and that takes some time with big tires like we have ours take 110 pounds you know the smaller pumps it can take quite a while to get them up to that yeah that pressure i might I might be on a tire for a half hour. So. <laughs> you uh, are. And I, I've got tire. an article coming out soon, probably not uh, by the time this podcast comes out, but uh, on tire pressure and, and knowing how to, how to set your tire pressure. And how to awesome. Check it. So check that out. You know, one of the other things too, just a, a tip that we have for traveling from point A to point B is that if you are going to be staying overnight at a campground and you're pulling an automobile behind you, having a pull through sight can save you up to half an hour or the if you're next towing day. a travel trailer or fifth wheel too yeah, yeah. that's true too yeah. getting yeah it so I, I guess let's talk about planning your travel day yeah out so if you're if you're if it's going to be a multi-day you know and you do want to have one stopover yeah getting a pull through site is is super key to having a quick get in and get out the next day but i think it's also important to find a park in advance that is on your route yeah that's not going to be yeah. like 50 miles off of the highway and that ha has happened to us let's and you know <laughs> let's we, be honest we picked a campground just recently because we felt that the price was great but it was a very long distance from the highway more so than we realized and it probably cost us just as much in the gas to get oh, to that I'm, campground. I'm certain it cost more in fuel to yeah. get to the campground than we saved. It was such a silly, like, slap your forehead sort of mistake that as we were driving to it, we just looked at each other and we were like, why did we book this? Yeah, not to mention the time, the additional time, which yep. involved us getting there late. And Yeah, so, you know, sort of like our two, yeah. our two tips, if you're traveling in a campground, just and it's an overnight to get to your main destination, is look for a place close to your route, to your highway that you're using to get there, and then also look through a pull for a pull through site yeah, if you can. Just and do the math on saving the money if you're if you if you're trying to get a cheap place. So I think a lot of times people 
you know you're spending one night in this campground you're you're not exploring the area so you don't want to spend a lot of money on it and that's understandable but sometimes you want to spend a little extra money for the convenience so you're not wasting the money on fuel and you're not wasting your time yeah i mean the flip to that though too hun is you could just like stay in a walmart parking lot yeah so if you're but maybe you're not comfortable if you're cool with boondocking um or if you call that boondocking if you or you call it pass through (laughs) wall docking (laughs) or overnight parking if you're good with staying at a walmart you're going to stay in a cracker barrel a rest area (laughs) uh that can be a great option for for quick overnights sometimes people like to you know if you're if you're a family that likes to travel you know maybe a week at a time sometimes your overnight then is going to be the place where you stop and and say you boondock a lot your overnight is going to be a place where you stop and you use the laundry the, yeah. the showers, the dump station, and all that. And we like to use uh, Passport America for overnights a lot. Passport America mm-hmm. is a discount pro- program. It's about $40 a year where you get half price off of many, many campgrounds, thousands of campgrounds in the country. Yeah. And if you can find one on, on your route, usually the, the discounts are only good for one or two nights. And usually during the week. And during the week. So those yeah. are great, which, which leads us to try to travel during the week if possible yeah i think this is one that we really do actually try to stick to because we have found that it can be a little bit harder to get just a campground for one night on the weekends and also that traffic tends to be a little bit easier a lot easier yeah especially in the summer you know so we do try to, to do the majority of our bulk travel during the week and after rush hour and before after the morning rush and before the evening yeah obviously if you're going to be traveling through a big city you want to try to time out your day so that you are not hitting that city in rush hour yeah because we've had a couple of instances i remember when we were traveling to florida and we hit atlanta and it was evening rush hour Uh and that was so frustrating and we weren't even in an rv at that time we were still tent camping and we were in the van so we try to follow the 222 rule on our travel days, which we didn't make this up. We did Something not. Something a lot of people do. Um, sometimes it's the 333 rule. But the... Some people might have a 444 <laughs> rule. You never know. We but... pick for the 222, though. And the 222 rule is that you try to not travel more than 200 miles in a day. You try to arrive by 2 p.m. in the afternoon. And what is the other... You only go... Uh, you stay two days. Oh, right. Yes. <laughs> and you try, not, you, try not to, you try not to stay less than two days in one spot. So even if you are overnighting... Now, that's the one we don't follow. We don't follow that one as much. Um, I think of the three, we really like the 222 yeah. rule. Of the three, probably the 200 mile is the only one we actually stick to on a regular basis. Yeah. We arrive a lot of times... Well, after two o'clock. <laughs> but the goal is two o'clock, and the and yes. you know so. And if we had set our goal later, we would be arriving even later. Yeah, a person you know? time is way different than everyone else's time. Like we set a goal, and then we know that goal most likely is like two hours after our goal, right. and we still hit our goal. If we're within a two-hour window, we've hit our goal. I know a lot of people that would probably drive them crazy, but we have just kind of had to accept that that's how our family moves and travels and that's you know we would rather kind of stretch out and arrive a little bit later than stress out 
and right. arrive on time. And arriving at two o'clock, you have a couple hours to set up before you have to start making dinner. Yeah, you know, or you just set up the next the day, whatever. There's not a lot of people around. You don't have to worry about lines of people checking in. Sometimes that can be a problem. Yeah, yeah. so that's kind of what our philosophy, two, two, two. Arrive by two, travel only 200 miles, stay a couple of days. Another thing we really like when another tip we have is a couple of apps and we've talked about them in the past, I think on episode five, which was our, we kind of highlighted some apps that we had written an article on for RV Miles. And one of the apps is called iExit. And this is a really, really cool app. It, it tells you what, what is coming up at the next few exits, yes. you know. So if you're if you're traveling down the road and you want to stop at a certain place for dinner, you can look ahead and you can see what's available to eat. Uh, you can look ahead and see what fuel stations are available. Which is great for your co-pilot because then your co-pilot can kind of like let you know what's coming up ahead, especially if you need a gas station or you're hungry, um, you know, and you're thinking maybe is it about time to stop for food? Is that something we want to do tonight? Another one we really like to kind of help gauge what's going on with gas prices is Gas Buddy. Yeah, Gas Buddy you can search in a, in a radius and see you know, what kind of fuel is available and, and what prices and what stations they're going to be. And those are the numbers are put in by people just like you that arrive at those gas stations and they put the prices in and, and you can see what's going to be the cheapest. And, and that obviously makes a big difference when you're filling up a hundred gallon tank like we do. Yeah. And so those are kind of a couple apps that just make while you're on the road life a little bit easier. Um, another thing that I have found makes life on the road a little bit easier for me when I'm traveling with three kids, three kids who are always hungry, is to kind of prep as much food especially like it usually for us it ends up being lunch that we eat while we're on the road trying to prep all of that before we leave make the sandwiches you know divide up maybe if we're having chips or crackers or you know um, any other little snacky item divide that up so that there's portioned out for each child and then portioned out for you and I too like having some trail mix and then that way when people say to me like I'm hungry I don't have to try and Put something together while we're in motion or we don't have to stop like I can go into my bag of pre-prepped foods and I can hand things out and I just think that that makes it a little bit easier for everyone especially the person who would be putting together the meals yeah and anything you can prep the night before whether it be food or whether it be putting things away the night before just makes the travel day so much yeah smoother. and I love this idea that people talk about too of utilizing their Instapot or their Crock-Pot on travel days and putting that meal and getting that meal going before they leave and then having it in the Crock-Pot, like sitting in the sink yeah. or something while they're traveling. Okay, so let's talk about, let's talk about actually getting out of the campsite and getting into the campsite. Yes, so this was one that I really wanted to have on here because we've seen it, it's happened to us, but we've also seen it happen to other couples, individuals trying to navigate the backing into a campground or the checking of all, you know, checking the lights as you're leaving. And I just think the very best thing you can do with your traveling partner is to have agreed upon hand signals for like when you're backing into the space. Mm -hmm. I know that this probably sounds so silly and you're thinking, well, of course everyone knows what it means to point to the left. 
but you would but be you surprised. Don't, you know, does that mean turn the wheel to the left? Does that mean the move the front end to the left or the back end to the left? So it does get a little confusing. It does. And you know, also I think sometimes too, you get into these campgrounds and especially if they're full, there's kind of this pressure like to get People it right. Watching, and everyone's, yeah. oh yeah, because you know, everyone's going to come over with an opinion. And really you need to be set with your partner, you know, Sometimes in the beginning, Jason and I had to have a conversation because I did feel sometimes because I'm the one in the back who is navigating him in and he obviously is up at the wheel. A couple of times I did feel like I would point to a certain direction or I would say stop and he would override me and he would continue to do what he was doing. And (laughs) that did not work so well for us. Well, we had, I mean, we weren't clear on what hand signals meant. You can't, you know, just waving your hand back and forth doesn't say much you need to actually point you know there are things like that that and i'm not trying to judge what you were doing you just we just we didn't have a plan we didn't have a plan we didn't have a plan and we so it was kind of like newbie traveling and you see people at campgrounds all the time backing in and they're like screaming at each other back and forth i can't hear a single thing she's saying no you you can't you have to be able to do it all with hand signals and people get really angry at one another and i think that this can be one of the hot button jobs that you do Especially together if it was a rough ride and you had a yes. long day getting there it can be it it can yes. set up you know you can set off your your vacation with an argument you don't yeah. want to do that and it is it can be very difficult sometimes to back in to these rv spots you have nature all around you that's playing you know into how you can navigate sometimes the spots are so close especially if you have people across from you that it can be difficult and so the very best thing for everyone involved for the people around you for you and your camping partner is to just come up with what does it mean when my finger points to the left or my finger points to the right and if i put my hand up to stop you have to stop there's something happening back here that i feel is not working right and if you are up at the driver's seat then and you need to stop then that person who's navigating you in also needs to understand that you have stopped for a particular reason because something up there is happening that you don't feel safe about and then don't stand there and yell at each other with one person in the back and the other up front walk up to that person and talk to them and say hey this is what I'm noticing back here or hey this is what I'm seeing up front and figure it out and then continue the pattern and and, and the thing to note too is that both people can't be steering Right. So one person has to be in charge of guiding. So, you know, generally the person driving is is figuring out, you know, how to actually get into the spot. And the person that is in the back waving their arms around is is letting them know when they're close to hitting something. It's letting them know when they've come back far enough. Um, Or sometimes, you know, but sometimes that person has to steer as well. Sometimes I can't see. So I need you to be my guide. But you if you're both trying to steer at the same time it doesn't work yeah exactly and so this is just you know we have learned our lesson and sometimes we have to remind ourselves of this lesson especially on more stressful travel days we tend to take it out on the getting the bus into its location and so just take a moment you know even if you and your partner have been doing this for 15 or 20 years 
ask yourself if what we're doing works and if you feel like it has been working, great, stick with it. If there's something that you feel like we haven't been communicating so well in this particular area, discuss it. If you're getting a new, you know, if you're pulling something new for the first time, if you have a new rig, like take those just few moments and to discuss with your camping partner how you two can communicate so that no one's no one's feelings are hurt because that it happens all the time we watch it happen all the time in the campgrounds yeah. and i just feel so bad for everyone and don't don't worry about well first of all don't go help people unless they really need help yes please don't if they need help you know it's usually obvious that they really need help that they've never done this before go up and ask them if they'd like assistance and what you'd like they'd like you to do you can you yeah. can offer do you want me to just stand on this side and, and watch to make sure you don't hit this tree? Yeah. Ask but them. But don't take over. Don't go over and take yeah. charge. But also, if you are, if you're backing into a space, don't worry about the other people around you either. And don't feel like you if, have to do it quickly. If there's a line of cars trying to get out, they're going to have to wait, you know, yeah. and that's okay. And they know that, hopefully. I always think Go back to that time at Rheinberg, Camp Rheinberg in Palatine last year, where we were watching the guy who was pulling his trailer leaving, and it was a really tight right turn, and his um, partner was trying to help him navigate out, but he wouldn't listen, and he, she kept telling him to stop, to stop, to stop, and he wouldn't stop, and he ended up running into that pole. Yeah. And then got out and started, they started screaming at each other and he was screaming at her and she was screaming at him. In that particular moment, he needed to listen to her because she could see what he could not. But he was so convinced that he had had it. And they ended up putting a dent in their new... I think they ripped a, a marker light off of yeah. it. Yeah, they damaged yeah. some property on the park, damaged their trailer, their brand new trailer too. Yeah. And so that's always in my mind, like that particular moment really stuck with me as to how then you and I should communicate because that was just, she was screaming and he was ignoring and it just didn't work out so well for them in the end. And I don't want that to happen. <laughs> so those are just a few uh, tips and tricks that we have learned in the year or so that we have been out on the road full time. And if you have a tip or a trick that you would like to add to a list, just give us an email over at editor at rvmiles.com or find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter and let us know what that tip or trick is. All right, we'll be back in a moment and we're going to talk about New Orleans. The big easy. Hey, we're back. <laughs> Welcome back. If if the tone and timber of the insects and the air around us has changed, that's because it's evening now and there's a campfire going. Or there, our break was a bit longer than your break. <laughs> that it was. We discovered that four-year-olds don't really like to let you record podcasts <laughs> so we had to take a little break <laughs> so we have a couple beers we have a campfire we, we have do. coyotes we do have coyotes in oak forest in the county of cook in the state of illinois i'm really i've seen a coyote walking down a city street <laughs> in chicago before 
I know. Ain't no thing. Just, I wasn't expecting it a little bit ago. So, anyway, though, we want to talk a little bit about New Orleans. We were there back in March of this year. We spent a week there, and for, I think for all of us, it was our first time visiting, right? Yeah. Yeah, for me, for sure. Yeah, it was pretty awesome. So we stayed at a really great state park called St. Bernard, which is about, what, do you think 20 minutes from the French Quarter? How long did it take us? Yeah, 20, 30 minutes from the French Quarter. Great location. And several things along the way between the French Quarter and and there. I think there are three state parks that are just circled the city that are great options to stay at. No, uh, And ours was south. Yeah. Of New Orleans. Yeah, southeast. Southeast. No no sewer, but it was a great state park. No, but they did have laundry, yeah. which was really great. The rare for a state and park. Very mm-hmm. rare for a state park. And the bathrooms, I thought, were really well kept and maintained. They were on the older side, for yeah. sure, but they were well kept. And our spot was really nice. We had a little pass-through, actually, between where our spot was and a pass-through that would take us directly to the bathhouse and the laundry, which was really nice and convenient. But again, in Epperson fashion, we were really far away from the playground. We were. (laughs) So the kids really weren't able to, like, run off and play in that capacity by themselves. But I thought, all in all, for the price, that it was a really great location. And I would absolutely stay there again. Yeah, there are better, uh, not better, there are closer campgrounds, uh, some some private campgrounds there's one that's right in the french quarter yes but it's gonna be over a hundred dollars a night it's very expensive um so we did spend quite a bit of time in the french quarter that seemed to be sort of like our niche we really enjoyed our time there yeah i think we split it sort of half and half between there and some of the cool coastal natural things yeah but i think we just kept coming back to the french quarter because we were so taken by the architecture now we did spend our time in the french quarter during the day because we were with kids and we kind of avoided bourbon street yeah let me tell you even during the day (laughs) bourbon street is it's a little wild it is a little wild it was really interesting and so while we were in the French Quarter, we had a great meal at the Market Cafe, and you and I shared this sampler, and it was a sampler, four cups of gumbo, jambalaya, shrimp creole, and red beans and rice, and we had live jazz going that, yeah, on. Yeah, that was the best. And the, the food was great, but the best part of it was live jazz yeah, you know, right next these, to like, us, out sitting outdoors, and Four guys just jamming, taking requests. The kids absolutely loved it. Ethan was like kind of dancing around. And, you know, it was a little pricey. Like our sampler was $20 and it was literally just four cups. And then I think I got a hurricane. I can't remember if you actually got a drink either, but I know I got a drink. (laughs) So, (laughs) no, but that was really fun. And then we did a couple of tours Mm-hmm. around the French Quarter as well. Like we went to Madame John's. Yeah, Mad- they call it Madame John's Legacy. And yes. it's a house that was called Madame John's House. It, Being in New Orleans called Madame John's House, it sounds like it has something to do with 
illicit <laughs> activities, and it does not. No, it's really literally just uh, a two-story building that you can walk into. They have uh, various, like, I think the displays that are in there rotate, like, what they might have in. And it is a house from the 18th century, late 18th yeah, century, I believe. it's sort of a dual-purpose thing. Yeah. You've got the, the architecture of this house, but then they have exhibits of artifacts and artwork and things like that that you can also look at and it's free yeah and i think for anyone who really enjoys architecture and enjoys historical architecture you're gonna love the french quarter i mean they have these really interesting tour packages that you can purchase that will get you into all of the different homes in the french quarter that are historical on the historical register now when we were there the national park service has a visitor center at the French Quarter, but that was closed down. Yeah. That was under renovation. Right. So we weren't able to do that. But we did go over to the Jean Lafitte Barataria, Barataria, Barataria Preserve. Barataria Preserve. Yeah. We did do that one day. about straight south of New Orleans, oh, maybe 40 miles or so. That was awesome. It was, it was great. That was awesome. It's 23,000 acres of bayous, swamps, marshland. It was super incredible. Some great short trails to take the family on. Lots of wildlife. But then some, yeah, (laughs) snakes. Lots of snakes. Uh, But but nice boardwalk to walk on to keep you up and away from the snakes. To keep the snakes, so that the snakes could easily slither off and go down into nature. Gators. (laughs) We did. We saw an alligator just right up against the boardwalk and I fully admit that we stopped and we kept our distance but we did stop and we did take in this alligator because it was the first time I think the kids had ever experienced anything like that and it definitely brought back some memories for me of like my childhood in Gulfport Mississippi and we checked him out took a couple pictures moved on but it was so cool to like he was just sunbathing, like right there next to the boardwalk. Yeah. It was crazy. Yeah. A lot so, of great songbirds. We, yes. we had a nice conversation with the ranger who was putting in oh, that's some, right. uh, some birdhouses. Yes, they were going all around the park mm-hmm. and putting in birdhouses. And just like kind of overall, it was a really cool experience because it is so unique. It's such a unique state park. There's nowhere else really literally like in the country except this small region of the south that you can kind of go and experience Mm -hmm. something like this i wonder if that's how you feel like when you go to the wetlands too you know like you're really experiencing something that is so unique to that part of the country and the junior ranger program was great we finished it in that oh yeah great scavenger hunt looking at the bingo bingo. remember that bingo different animals and and things to check off yeah. on the list. They checked off a lot great. of lot of nature really fast yeah. when we started seeing snakes and spiders and alligators. <laughs> I was really surprised we were able to put a little X on the alligator. Um, so that was like a really great little bit of time there in New Orleans too. I think back to this city itself, some of the other things we really enjoyed were, well, first we had a billion beignets. <gasps> oh. I know. I, I felt I, like we should save that for the end because I I thought we were just going to talk for hours about the beignets. <laughs> <laughs> well, so everybody knows, well, lots of people know, I, I 
really didn't know, but Cafe Du Monde is sort of the place that people know to go to for beignets and coffee. It's the it place. It's the yeah. it place. There's always a very long line to get them. It's cash only. You get your They're, chicory coffee and you get your beignets. And it's very cheap. Oh, somebody's There's coming into Midway. Airplane flying over us right now. Hi, airplane. That is a really close airplane. <laughs> <laughs> We're near Midway Airport I think I, on the south side of Chicago. I think I can see people's faces <laughs> looking down at me. <laughs> okay. But we and so we skipped Cafe Du Monde. We did because the to, line was long and we didn't have cash. Right. We went to Cafe Beignet instead. Oh my gosh. Which, it was so good. There was so much powdered sugar on these I, beignets. It was like you just were, You could snort it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they had music. Do you remember they had a um, a no. female jazz singer and I think just like a piano, a keyboard, well, and a stand-up bass going? It, it's sort of an open-air cafe, traditional yes. New Down Orleans on the type place on the waterfront. But you can go inside. They have all kinds of other treats and breakfast food and things like that. Lunch, too, I and think. And lunch, and they take credit cards, and <laughs> you can sit down. And So I, I think it's a really great option over Cafe Du Monde. To be honest, and it was priced really well, mm-hmm. and I felt like we got, I, like we got bang for our buck yeah. there. So I absolutely recommend. Which is it. rare in a city like that. It is know? very rare, and we went twice because the first time Henry, our four-year-old, was asleep, and nobody in his family woke him up to share beignets with him. We <laughs> ate his. We just ate them all. We did. So we felt guilty and we went back and enjoyed more beignets. And the kids still are like, can we get beignets? Like, we want beignets. And I absolutely agree with them. I want beignets too. (laughs) Cafe Beignet is, like we said, it's right on the waterfront, right Mm -hmm. on the levee there where some of the the ships come in where we we stood there and listened to the the steamship that we matches i think yes uh, we, waved we goodbye waved to them as it blew its very very loud steam horn as it literally blew its steam horn and knocked us all back about <laughs> 10 feet <laughs> yes and across from uh cafe beignet in the in the waterfront is jackson square and that was really fun too which is fun it's there's beautiful. you know it's so beautiful just the architecture i'm probably going to say that word a thousand times it's a nice square with with, architecture with wonderful architecture and then you've got all kinds of street artists and singers and and we stood and (laughs) watched a street magician for about a half hour he was great. He, he was, was great, great at what he, he was did. Really good. Really personable. Really bringing the crowd in, and he played to the kids. He hit all the marks that you're supposed to hit until his show ended, and then people started. He passed around the hat, and people started putting money in, or they would give him money as they were walking by, and he was very unhappy that people were leaving him fives and tens. Like ten, he, he was <laughs> literally getting mad at people for leaving him ten dollar tips. He was just saying these. Really he was angry, and he was yelling he was. about. He was yelling. He was yelling at the church across the street oh, yeah. because apparently the church made him stop using his microphone and speaker <laughs> and so he it's was, a sunday and they're having right. services and stuff like that so he's really mad at them because he wasn't pulling in the crowd <laughs> he wasn't pulling and he, he was even saying he said I, you know normally i'll make three four five hundred dollars during a show and i'm only made oh god only 250 i and wanted I, to walk up to him and be like dude i too have worked in the performance industry for like 20 years don't play like I mean, we no, all know i don't i don't mean <laughs> like, to diminish on. i have 
total respect for magicians and no he was and, amazing and he we was prefaced really this with how good. awesome he was and then he and turned we were, into a total but jerk thing, we didn't give him a tip nope because he was nope. being a jerk like <laughs> we would have given him money if he wasn't up there I was afraid to go give him money I because I didn't want to be yelled at I went and bought beignets with it <laughs> <laughs> I mean uh, so it's a really interesting experience to go into Jackson Square. There's a lot of performers. Just be aware, and you absolutely should if you're going to stand and watch a show or a service from someone, that they're going to expect you to throw a little money at them afterwards. And that's absolutely fine. I cannot guarantee they'll take it graciously, but that is kind of how they roll in Jackson Square. And it's a really fun experience to kind of see how eclectic that space is. You should also plan on paying a minimum of $40 to park down in uh, the French Quarter. Never paid so much to park in my life. We're we're from Chicago. You know, I mean, we, if you want to park downtown Chicago, it's expensive. It's often 30 bucks. That seems really expensive (laughs) to me. Especially when you, now that there's that ParkWiz app, which if you don't know what that is, it's an app and it's called ParkWiz. And what you do is you put in your location and it will give you the prices often discounted of all the parking within your area. And a lot of times if we need to park downtown in Chicago, we can get 10 to $15 parking that's like, that's half off what they would normally cost. So, but you have to, buy it in advance and you have like a window that you can use it that was not available yeah i think <laughs> like, parking I is just so limited in the french quarter that you're you're just going to pay that kind of money yeah. we did one night we got there around seven o'clock and the meters ended at seven and we got free yeah, parking we totally scored so that was strange but that was kind of cool. cool and we stayed for just like an hour hour and a half and then we busted on out of there <laughs> really quick. <laughs> so another really cool area of New Orleans that we liked a lot was City Park. Oh, yeah, that was so great. City Park is it's sort of this massive park that has... In the city. It has an art museum in it. It has... A, and the Sculpture Garden The Sculpture Garden. To we the took a great walk through through Sculpture Garden. We, we spent a lot of time there, more than I even thought we would. Well, we got kicked out because it was closed. Yeah. Remember? And the lady was like, you need to leave. <laughs> We were like, oh, do we? There's there's an amusement park that was closed the day we were there, but mm-hmm. there's a small amusement park inside City yeah, Park. It's just almost like, in a way, it's like New Orleans' version of Central Park. Yeah, yeah. Like, I think. Or Chicago's Millennium Park. Yeah, yeah. Like, every big city has their park, and this is the green space that you go to to see outdoor performances, to, you know, engage in, like you said, the art museum or the amusement park. I think there's a train that goes around the park. There there's was a, a little waterway. cafe. There's the, that, yes, there's that cafe, and mm-hmm. then there's that little waterway outside of it where they have the, what are those called? The little boats. paddle boats? No, the robot with the guy. With oh, the, the gondola. The gondolas, yes. Oh, well, the gondola the in gondolas. New Orleans. Right. Yes, absolutely. I Tra- remember the that The traditional now. <laughs> New Orleans gondolas. <laughs> yes, <of> <laughs> so that was nice. And they also have playgrounds. And that's kind of, we took a... Uh, picnic dinner, went over to the play, went through the sculpture garden, stayed until it closed, then took the kids over to the playground, had our picnic dinner. Like it was just a really nice kind of like several hours and it was free to park in, mm-hmm. you know, you didn't have to pay for parking, which was a bonus. And I really enjoyed it. Like I could have gone back. We were only there for one afternoon, but that was a place I could have gone back to a couple yeah. of times because there was just so much to see. I I will say that New Orleans might be the worst place we've driven our RV. Oh, 
Yeah. It's not the greatest place to, and you kind of have to, you know, unless you stay way out of the city. I mean, we stayed outside of the city, but we had to drive through the through. city to get to our campground. And, and I feel like that's saying a lot because we've driven right. this bus through Chicago and let's right. not play. They are not fixing the potholes here. They're like, y'all are on your own <laughs> in Chicago. Like and New Orleans, a lot of the streets are very, very tight. Uh, and 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 they've seen they've seen better days. Yeah, there are a couple times and where I clutched my pearls some those, because some of those I didn't bridges. Know. There are bridges that you're not supposed to go across, but there are also some that you can that are just yeah. small. You you're, so be aware if you're driving there are a trains massive. That, there's, there's oil refineries down there, and they're delivering fuel and stuff. And there are trains that go, and you might be backed up for for you know a half hour waiting for. A train to go by. Which happened to us, but thankfully we were just in the van trying mm-hmm. to go from the campground into the city, And but we sat for quite some time. Um, a couple things to note, too, like if you are someone who works, travels full-time and works on the road, the campground we stayed at did not have Wi-Fi, and it was quite a bit of a hike. Decent cell signal, though. But, yeah, to get to some something like a... You, <laughs> Abby went to work at a... I wanted to go to a Starbucks. She wanted to go to Starbucks to work. So she put in the directions it was only a mile away. Great. Yeah, I was like, this is awesome. A mile and a half, two miles to a Starbucks? Well, yeah. you you had to take a ferry to get to... <laughs> and Abby does not take a ferry. <laughs> so um, so a mile away is actually, you know, a half hour away. Well, I put it in and it was like, you know, series like, you will arrive in 45 minutes. And I was like... 45 minutes this is only a mile and a half what and like I get over there and everyone's like backed up on the little road and I'm thinking what's going on and then I saw a sign for a ferry and I was like oh oh no I have to take the long way around and yeah and you don't want to like drive into because that's where you're going is into the you're driving through some rough neighborhoods and then you're in the French Quarter and you don't want to go to either of those to you know yeah. to work you want to go somewhere that's a little out of the yeah, way so just be mindful it depends on again we were at this particular campground we were at was a bit removed from being able to get anywhere if wi-fi is of if importance to you you know yeah. we were there for a mm-hmm. week and obviously we needed it because we had to work so that was uh interesting uh, i also want to mention <laughs> there is a nature trail in the saint bernard state park oh yeah trail <laughs> norm i mean when when somebody says nature trail to you to me that usually invokes that it, it's one of these sort of half mile it's a loop short little loops it's a loop through that, nature you know it's a little interpretive trail this was an epic multi-mile hike on our fault, we didn't, like, yep. there was no nothing on the sign saying how long it was, no. which also made me just assume it was short. Shame on us for not chucking. And we get out on this trail, and you know, it's one of those things that you're like, you're so far, and you're like, wow, we're already so far. If we, we turn around, it's going to take us forever. Should we yeah. keep going? Maybe that'll be quicker. I, you know, and it ended up being and it a, came like a two out. and a half hour <laughs> <laughs> we, were we, we had no idea this park was anywhere near no, this big and not. it came out nowhere near the campground oh. area of the park Those so we kids. had to walk down the like the streets of the camp the, of the state park to get <laughs> our kids were so oh, unhappy with us <laughs> we owed them ice cream oh, after we had that. a three-year-old with us so we were carrying oh. him for a lot of it and, yeah i think and he fell we asleep. also saw these snakes were not off a boardwalk. These snakes were right on the trail. <laughs> oh, 
I have a real phobia of snakes, so it takes all of my energy not to shove my family in front of the snakes and then run in a different direction. So these trails were really difficult for it's me. It's happened before. Abby's done that. Abby's done that at a zoo. Jason, don't tell my With the snake stories. behind the glass. Don't. <laughs> thrown our child and ran. It was a very big snake. And I knew my 18-month-old would be fine because there was glass between them and the snake. Stop telling my stories. Anyway, back to New Orleans. Outside of that, I'm thinking the only thing really worth mentioning is the Louisiana Children's Museum, yeah. which we did spend an afternoon at. And, and we again, used our reciprocal from yep, the Museum of Science and Industry we in did. Chicago. And so we got, got in free. for free. and that Kind was, of an older children's museum, yep. but, but great still. But it had um, a Winn-Dixie grocery store that the kids could have spent their entire lives inside. If you run a museum and you don't have a mock grocery store inside... <laughs> You're missing out because that's all the kids want. That's all they want. That or across from the grocery store at this museum, they also had a cafe. And this is something I hadn't seen before. A mock cafe. The kids. So the adults, their adults can go sit at a table while the kids can go into the play commercial kitchen Mm -hmm. and they can play waiter and they bring out food to you. They, they cook it in the kitchen they put it in the window they bring yep. out the food to you they bring you menus you we were brought from some very eclectic oh, dinners they yes they loved it and they, they did, did that for a very 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 long they time did. It, so i think you know yes it's a little bit older it's not as big as you might expect <laughs> but those two areas alone we probably were in those two areas for an hour and a half. Oh, and you know what I loved too, is that, that Winn-Dixie, it wasn't just like, we have this grocery store, go play in it. They actually had, they had people helping. It was staffed. They had people showing the kids how to use the cash register. Well, they had to staff it because that's all the kids wanted to do. (laughs) So they had to make sure that all the kids got to be the cash register. cash registers. Yeah. All of the kids got a shopping cart. Like they were literally like the bouncers of the Winn-Dixie. Like they were like, okay, you've been in here too long. It's time to move on. So I think... Anything else you wanted to say about New Orleans before we move on to your favorite part of the podcast? I No, I, I think, it's, again, we've talked about a few places like this, like Chicago, yeah. that, that RVers might tend to skip because it seems like it might be difficult to do in an RV. Yeah. Um, outside of the, the challenge of driving in it, don't skip it. New yeah. Orleans is a great town. Yeah, and St. Bernard Campground, where we stayed, was absolutely so easy to get to so much to do outside of new orleans too you can go visit plantations oh i know you know you can you can go to spend time on the river you can go fishing it's a great fishing area throw me in some 1860s period clothing and drop me (laughs) off at the nearest plantation i will be so happy we don't go to fine (laughs) restaurants anymore but it's apparently the best food city in the country so yeah so somebody go for us please (laughs) (laughs) all right babe let's move on because i'm getting chilly out here (laughs) all right this week's brain teaser you ready yes you're out camping in the wilderness you're awakened by a rustling noise is it a coyote? I picked this one just for her because of the coyotes. You're so you're so special, Jason. You go outside and see a bear that's outside of your tent. Why would I go? Okay, keep going. It has to be a tent for this one. I'm okay. Sorry, but it's a tent. Okay. I know it's an RV podcast. Right. So you go outside, you see a bear. You run one mile south, one mile west, and one mile north. 
to return to your camp which has been destroyed. What color is the bear? Black. Blown your mind right now. Yes, no because I think you probably... It's okay. You've got a week to think about I know. it. <laughs> Did you, like, there was just this long <laughs> silence on the podcast as you can hear me thinking so hard trying to hear his voice because most of the time I tuned it out. So I've got... All right. All right. Yeah. Hey, I'm okay. so good. You run one mile south, one mile west, one mile north, and you return to your camp, which has been destroyed. What color what is the bear? Dun, dun, dun. Stay tuned next week. <laughs> and on that note. <laughs> that and more next week. <laughs> next week. <laughs> All right, you guys, we're starting to get slap happy. We're going to wrap it up here. So thank you again for continuing to join us every week on this podcast. If you are liking what you hear, please, please, please think about subscribing on your favorite place that you get podcasts stitcher itunes we would love a review it helps get us in front of more people if you're so inclined and don't forget we mentioned it at the top but don't forget we're going to be wrapping up that giveaway on the rv miles facebook page here in just a week or so so if you haven't gone over there already we've got some awesome wonderlust swag that we want to give out to you you just need to uh like the page and like the post all right, we'll see you next week. Keep logging those RV miles. You stole my ah, line. I said it for you. Bye. Bye. Guys. Bye.